Hi, I'm Eric Dewey from the Socially Awkward Studios, Science and Beer, and Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. And you're listening to another proud presentation of the Four-Eyed Radio Network. Check out more shows at foureyedradio.com. Starfleet Escape Podcast. Prepare for launch in three, two, one. Enjoy the ride. Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode number 39 and is being recorded on May 2nd, 2014. Today's topic, First Officers. I'm Aaron. And I'm Eric. This episode is brought to you by Raven Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit ravencruise.com. Hey, Eric, how are you this week? Hello, Aaron. I am doing well, I guess. (laughs) That's good. Yeah, so I I had a good start of the week, and then it just kind of (laughs) went... Well, now it's the weekend. Now it's the weekend, and I'm ready to party. Yeah, things can only go up from here, maybe. Uh, Sort of. Up higher. (laughs) That way? That, That higher, yeah. The sky's the limit. Or space is the limit. Oh. It's the final frontier, after all. That's very true. (laughs) How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. I'm adjusting to a new work schedule. How's that working out for you? It stinks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least you're honest. Yeah. uh, Getting home after 9 at night, sometimes close to 10, uh, is not... Very appealing, but I'll I'll do what I have to do. It sounds kind of rough. Well, here we are. Yep. We're recording. And we're recording. So why don't we see what's new in the Star Trek universe? You mean with the news? With the news. <laughs> that you can use. <laughs> news you can use. So, Star Trek Online Season 9. A new accord is now available. Players can join Tuvok at the Janolan, <laughs> yes, the Janolan Dyson Sphere <laughs> from that episode. Uh, exactly. Relics, relics, good episode. To help Tuvok negotiate a coordinated response to the Undyne. I believe that's how you pronounce that. Yes, that is species 8472 for the uninitiated. Oh, apparently I am uninitiated. Yes. Yes, the Undyne is the name that Star Trek Online has given to uh, Species 8472. I see. So they are an enemy race. How do you know this? Well, just because I don't play the game doesn't mean I don't keep up with it, with the universe that they're creating. I suppose that's that's a good point. I'm, I'm a Star Trek nerd. I'm a Trekkie. That's true. (laughs) <laughs> in addition, Earth's space dock has been remodeled, Borg and Undyne missions have been revamped, with art and gameplay improvements, new queued events are available, all PvP maps have been enabled for cross-faction play, and there is a new space battle zone in the Solane. Dyson Sphere, among other improvements. That was a mouthful. That was. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it seems like an exciting time for Star Trek Online players. 
I wish I played it, but like we've said before, we have not played this. Yeah, I I want to get involved in it, though. Maybe someday. I want to, but I'm afraid it's just going to suck all my time away. Mm. And I'm not really a PC gamer. I would love if this was on the console. I see. Yeah, so I'm less of a PC gamer, more of a console guy. Okay. Next, Anton Yelchin will be starring in a new comedy, The Driftless Area. The Driftless Area is being adapted from Tom Drury's novel, which I have no idea what that is. <laughs> uh, neither do I. But, uh, you know, he plays Chekhov in the new Star Trek franchise. Uh, so it would be cool seeing a familiar face Yeah. in a comedy. And, I love comedies. Oh, me too. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Definitely. It's always nice to see Star Trek actors appear in different projects. Yeah, because the one thing that actors worry about is being typecast. Yeah. Star Trek actors, especially, seem to be typecast. Not all of them. There, we've we've had plenty of great Star Trek actors go on to bigger and better things. I don't know. Whenever I think, I I can't imagine them in anything else. Well, I think that's because we're so used to seeing them just in Star Trek. That's true. Got to expand your horizons, man. <laughs> I guess so. Like, I don't watch anything else, so I'm like, what? They're in something yeah. else? <laughs> <laughs> but moving on. Uh, George uh, Takei will receive the Vito Russo Award at the 25th Annual GLAD Media Awards <laughs> ceremony <laughs> in New York. So Very good cool. for him. Yeah, every time it seems like every time we have a new episode, there's something about George Takei in our news. Yeah, he's a very popular guy. His Facebook page is hysterical. Yeah, for anyone that doesn't know, uh, the GLAAD Awards, it's the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation. So that's very cool that he is receiving this award, which, according to the article, is presented to an openly lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender media professional who has made significant difference in promoting equality. Previous recipients include Anderson Cooper, Ricky Marin, Rosie O'Donnell, Alan Cumming, Cynthia Nixon, Nathan Lane, Cherry Jones, Elton John, Katie Lang, and Tom Ford. So he's joining a, a long list of uh, great people. Indeed he is. Go, George Takei. <laughs> <laughs> Next, sh- speaking of awards, William Shatner received NASA's Distinguished Public Service Medal, the highest award bestowed by the agency to non-government personnel for outstanding generosity and dedication to inspiring new generations of explorers around the world, and for unwavering support for NASA and its missions of discovery. So that's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. And I'll kind of talk a little bit about this when I review uh, Shatner's World. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Because there's a story that goes along with this. Okay, cool, cool. I'm eager to listen to that uh, since I, I didn't get to see it. so It's excellent. Hopefully it, it comes on the DVD, but we'll talk about that more. Cool, cool. Oh, but, but speaking of NASA for a second. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, what's up? Uh, have you seen NASA's new design for their next-gen spacesuits? I have not. I didn't know that uh, they released them. Yeah, I, I believe it's called the Z2. 
and it basically looks like Buzz Lightyear meets Tron. What is happening? Oh my are you, god. Are you looking at it right now? Yes, and I'm <laughs> confused. Yeah. It has lights? I don't... What is this? I, I don't know. I didn't really go into the specs of it, but I've seen different renders, and the renders look like those sections light up. Okay, I'm looking at this right now. Wow. It revealed a Tron-like new look to its prototype Z2 spacesuit, which sports an external cover layer chosen by public vote. The cover layer option dubbed Technology won the Spacesuit Design Challenge with 147,000 votes, or just over 63% of the ballots cast. The two other choices were Biomimicry and Trends in Society. The Z-Series spacesuit is in prototype phase that will allow astronauts to amble about the surface of Mars someday. The new selected cover layer sports electroluminescent wiring and a stark futuristic look, which provides services beyond mere aesthetics. The cover layer of a non-flight suit still performs an important function in ground-based testing. They said it can be used for spacewalks, and it protects the spacewalker from micrometeorite strikes, extreme temperatures, and harmful radiation effects. But I still don't understand what the funky lights are for. They don't they don't mention what that's for. That's weird. Yeah. Um, I guess it's cool. I mean, I'm not really a fan of the design uh, overall. It does look a little Buzz Lightyear-ish. Yeah. Huh. But hey. That's, that's weird. Yeah. So, so what's next in the news? Next, Fox cancels J.J. Abrams' Almost Human, which starred Carl Urban. No! <laughs> And I love a, this show. <laughs> yeah, it was a series I was looking forward to. Unfortunately, I never watched it. You were part of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> you I know what? So. Even even though they canceled it, the show did leave some questions unanswered. Mm-hmm. But it's not, it didn't end in like a shocking cliffhanger or anything. Well, you'll never know. Okay. So it's actually a really good story to watch. I would watch it in the order that it was meant to be aired in, like the official order, because Fox does what it does with some shows, and it mixed up the airing order to place more quote-unquote exciting episodes like early on in the season, Mm -hmm. but it messed up the flow of some of the plot threads in the series. I see. So in order for it to make a little bit more sense and that mystery to build, Mm -hmm. uh, you have to watch in the order it was meant to be watched in. And Fox did that with uh, Firefly uh, back in the day. Oh, really? Yeah, they did. So I don't know. This seems like a pattern for Fox. They really cancel shows that I like and get into. (laughs) No, it's serious. Uh, Almost Human was a really good take on on the future, and I Mm -hmm. really liked it. So... I don't know. I, I say everyone should give it a shot. Maybe uh, another network can pick it up, or maybe if they shop it around a bit, they can find yeah. home elsewhere. But uh, it was a really great-looking show, and okay. it had humor and action. It was really good. I liked it. I saw murmurings on Twitter about people saying, oh, this should go on Netflix. Netflix should pick this up. Um, If Netflix did, I could see... Because it was very effects-heavy. 
Okay. I, I feel if they went on Netflix, they might not have as big of a budget, but I, mm-hmm. what do I know? I, I don't know. So, Actually, with, with Netflix, they're increasing the, uh, the cost of Netflix. Uh, so new subscribers, what? it's going to be up a couple of bucks. Uh, current subscribers, it's going to go up a couple of bucks, but later down the line. Oh, God. When did they announce this? Uh, this was like a week or so ago. I am so behind. Let's yeah, and it, it's to uh, supplement the cost of the their series that they're making. Well, it's, it's, still, gonna, it's still cheaper than cable. Yeah, it's only going to be a couple of bucks extra a month. It's what, nine? It's like eight bucks. It's seven, $7.99, yeah. So, I mean, ten bucks won't be killing me, I guess, but... Yeah, but then watch Hulu follow suit because Hulu's at seven ninety nine too. So That's watch true. them watch them go to ten bucks too. Oh, but in in Hulu news, they announced <laughs> that they're going to. If you uh, say raise prices, I'm going to kill you. No, 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 not raise prices. <laughs> but they <laughs> they announced that they're going to be allowing select shows to be viewable on mobile devices for free without a Plus account. Okay, I, I don't care because I have a Plus account, so I see I know, all that but stuff. It, it's good for people that don't have Plus. Yeah, yeah. I guess, and it's probably just, it, they'll probably just have just enough to, like, you know, wet people's whistle, and then they're like, oh, in order to see the whole season, <laughs> you're going to need to pay seven ninety nine. You know what about Hulu Plus, though? Uh, they don't keep all the old episodes. It's like a rolling five episodes, which right. sucks if you miss out maybe yeah. a couple weeks or a few weeks after the premiere. Right. So, but, but yeah, that's for uh, new shows, but for old shows they'll have the whole seasons. Well, they should just keep the new shows going. That's I that's true. I I fully agree with you. I'm not I'm not disagreeing okay. with you. Alright, finally in the news. <laughs> Starship Exeter, the Tresorian Intersection, has finally been completed and is available on YouTube. And I'm so excited for this. They have it the the link that we have in the show notes is for the entire episode. It's been edited into one episode that you can watch. And Eric, oh, there is an Andorian. My god. I cannot wait. I've never watched Exeter. Is it any good? It's good. It was one of the better fan productions of the early 2000s. Oh, yeah. This this is the one we talked about before, right? Right. Yep. Okay. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. As am I. So next up, we have Would You Buy It? Times now, two. Times two. We have two. Would you buy us? Because I saw these and was like, yes. And then I saw the other one. I was like, oh, Eric would probably like that. So I put that in there. Oh, thank you. So the first one. Would you buy this? Uh, yeah. If I had the extra money, I'd totally buy this. Okay. I would definitely, and I probably will, or I'll make someone buy it for me. Yes, this would be a great Christmas present or birthday. That's very true, and this will probably make its way on our 
holiday shopping guide in this this December. That is way too far in the future. (laughs) Don't talk about that. Man, this (laughs) this year is flying by, though. It is. It's already May. Good God. Indeed. But what are we talking about? We're talking about the Star Trek III electronic phaser, which will be selling for $39.99. And this is from Diamond Select, which will be releasing the Star Trek III version of the iconic Type II phaser, and it will be available later this year. And it will also have the removable Cricket Type I phaser. Aw, yeah. I am so looking forward to this. It looks really good. Yeah, it's cool. I hope, I pray, that (laughs) they'll release the one that they they showed in Star Trek VI. Yes. I that love is a good that design. Oh my god, it's my favorite phaser design. Well, who knows? Buy this one and uh, we'll probably get more. That's true. Next, would you buy this, Aaron? Um, probably gonna, not. <laughs> I'm going to lean towards no. I would if I had like a bajillion dollars and money wasn't an option. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Just going by the quality of this maker, I would buy this in a heartbeat if I had the money. Mm -hmm. Uh, What we're talking about is the Star Trek Deep Space Nine slash Voyager Starfleet Uniform Jumpsuit from Anovos. So they're at it again, this time with the Utility Uniform replica, currently available for pre-order at discounted rates, but it will usually retail for $650. This suit has the full gray shirt undergarment, Mm -hmm. and I I know one of the things about the suit is that the shoulders are, have like sculpted pads in them, and that's what keeps that very sharp uh, shape that those shoulders are known for. Hmm, So everything is replicated very nicely. I did not know that they had shoulder pads. Yes, they did. That's why it looks so angular and sharp. Hmm. Um, Speaking of Anovos, I actually saw them last weekend at the C2E2 convention here in Chicago. Awesome. And I got to see up close the movie uniform jacket, the red one. Oh, nice. Yeah, and they also had Worf's Next Generation suit on display with the full Baldrick. Nice. And we've talked about the Baldrick before. Yes. They also had all of their previous products on display, so the J.J. Abrams uh, shirt uniform replicas. Nice. And they also had the classic original series replicas. And I was walking the booth with a couple of friends, and they pointed out to me how shiny and sparkly the original series pants were. Yeah, right. And they are. Yeah. They're they're like, they've got this sparkly sheen to them. Mm-hmm. And I guess I never really noticed that. I never noticed it in the production of the series, but I looked up when I was trying to make a TOS uniform. Because mm-hmm. I have a a shirt and I wanted like pants that were kind of similar. Yeah. When I was looking at I guess, reference photos, references and stuff, people were saying, "Oh, you know, get this." I forget what it was, but like sparkle stuff to spray on the pants. Yeah, apparently that is the case. So 
I mean, Anovos does their research. They use the same materials that were used in the production mm-hmm. of the show for their uniforms. So I'm I'm very excited for this. Have they done a first contact version yet? I don't believe so. Because when they do, I'm buying that sucker. I I think that has to be their next one. It has to be because they've done everything up until now in chronological. Mm-hmm. So as soon as they do a first contact, I am there. I don't care what it takes. I'm going to get one of those. I, I agree with you. I think I will spring for a first contact style uniform. Yeah, so when that happens, I'll be all over that. Yeah, totally. But after, if I got one of those, I think the purchase after would be the Voyager uniform. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah so, okay. so a couple weeks ago I went to the one night screening of the one man show Shatner's World and it was great because I actually won tickets from the Geek Girl Chicago blog my friend Lauren runs that blog and she did a giveaway for tickets and fortunately enough I was able to win those tickets. I didn't have anyone to go with, unfortunately, because I got a pair of tickets. So I gave it to the box office, and I told them, hey, whoever pays for, or whoever wants to go see Shatner's World, you know, after me in line, they, you can give them this ticket. So oh, I, don't know if, I don't know if anyone actually took advantage of that, or if the box office even forgot to do it. But anyways... So before the show, this is it's pretty it was a pretty typical Fathom event. So they actually had Shatner trivia before the show started. Okay. And I took video of it, so I'll probably uh, make a video on my YouTube channel or whatever. But they had some questions that I had no idea the answers oh, really? to. Like they said, "Oh yeah, what are what are the names of William Shatner's five grandchildren?" And wow, I had, I had no idea. I had no <laughs> yeah. clue. In regards to the show itself, uh, it was an hour and a half long, and it was William Shatner basically telling his life story as a one-man show okay. on stage to an audience. And they used... The, he had a big screen behind him, too, so they could show clips of what he was talking about okay. or other things. And it was full of these great anecdotes of him growing up, where he started, how he got to become an actor, Mm -hmm. and also his early career. And one of the stories, referring back to our NASA discussion, was when Star Trek was airing, the NASA program, they were getting ready to launch someone onto the moon, because the moon landing was in 1969. Of course, Star Trek ran from 66 to 69. And he talked about, as the show was being produced, he actually got invited to NASA to see the lunar module before it was launched into space. So he got to see the lunar module simulator, And they said, oh, you know, we'd like to take you inside the simulator and you can experience what it might be like to land on the moon. So he got all he got all strapped in and they're, you know, they're, you know, doing the bumpy ride like, 
uh, like lifting off, and then then they were saying, oh, well, okay, now we're going to go into the moon landing sequence. Mm-hmm. So I said, all right. And they said, okay, we want you to look out of the portal, and you know, you can see the Earth in this view, and what the Earth would look like from the moon. And he looked out, and the USS Enterprise floated <laughs> by. <laughs> And when he got out of the simulator, uh, everyone was laughing in the hangar. Mm-hmm. And he said it was in this huge hangar that was football fields, just many football fields long. It was a massive complex. Mm-hmm. So when he got out, everyone was, was cheering and laughing. And they basically took an Enterprise AMT model kit and built it up. And he was joking because he said that the NASA engineers, that they could build all this great technological stuff, but it took them, he said that it took them a while, I guess they told him it took him a while to build the model. Like they had a really hard time building the model of the Enterprise. (laughs) Probably because those uh, pylons kept falling off, probably. (laughs) Probably. And then he was talking about where he was when they landed on the moon. Mm-hmm. And he was basically out of a job at that point because Star Trek was canceled. Right. And he was just sitting, like kind of laying back on the hood of his car and watching the moon with a small, he had a small portable television uh, with him. And so he was watching the moon landing uh, with everyone else. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a lot of great stories like that. He's very hilarious. He's really funny. He pokes fun at himself. They also showed a few clips from the Captain's documentary. Uh-huh. And he talked about his family and his involvement with horses and, you know, some of the charitable work. But I, I think anyone who is a fan of William Shatner or if you're a fan of Star Trek... I think anyone should watch this. I hope that it comes to DVD or Netflix or a wide release because I think this is a great film for anyone to watch. It's very entertaining. It's very funny. And you get to hear William Shatner curse (laughs) quite a bit. I think it was the first time I ever heard William Shatner drop the (laughs) F-bomb. So it uh, it was pretty funny. It was a really good time, and I highly enjoyed it. That's good. Yeah. Cool. I, I look forward to seeing it sometime. Hopefully it will be on Netflix. Uh, his other documentaries have ended up on Netflix, like The Captains. Yeah. Uh, so here, here's hoping for that 10 bucks a month where we'll, we will be paying. <laughs> no! <laughs> so, why don't we jump into the topic of this week. The First Officers. So before we discuss the First Officers, I thought I'd go over the duties of the First Officer. Okay. We have serve as the principal advisor to the captain. That makes sense. Implementing the captain's orders. Make it so. Make it so, yeah. Uh, Preparing and issuing duty rosters. Probably the most boring part of the job. Indeed. Commanding the vessel in the event the cap of the captain's absence, incapacitation, or death. Which hopefully doesn't happen. <laughs> right. Working with the chief medical officer or counselor on crew evaluations, which we saw in the lower decks. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. And finally, in the 24th century, act as the lead 
officer on away teams. This was a big thing with Picard and Riker. Mm-hmm. Because didn't Picard want to do away missions? Or, or wait, who am I thinking of? Didn't um, someone want to do away missions and they're like, nope, you shouldn't do that? I feel like... You know what? Uh, I think it was Reed. Reed? From Enterprise. From Enterprise. Because the captain was, Captain Archer was sung, so gung-ho to go on a few away missions. And Reed's like, no, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel, I feel like someone has objected to the captain going on away missions. I'm pretty sure that Spock in the Abrams universe said that he would quote regulations and tell uh, Kirk that he shouldn't go on the mission, but he oh, would just right. ignore him anyway. That's right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So maybe maybe it wasn't a 24th century thing. Maybe it's just, you know, Kirk being Kirk. When it, When is Kirk not going to be Kirk? That's the question. <laughs> Good point. So uh, let's go in chronological order. Oh, excellent. Of... The Star Trek timeline, not how they aired. So we'll start with T'Pol. All right. So T'Pol was Archer's first officer aboard the Enterprise NX-01. She was the first Vulcan to serve for an extended period of time on a Starfleet vessel, and she acted as the chaperone in exchange for the Vulcan provision of star charts in the Klingon Linguistics database, but she was not immediately accepted by the crew. T'Pol was persuaded by Archer to remain on board following the conclusion of the mission to return Klang to Kwonos, at which time she took the position of science officer and the title of first officer on board the Enterprise. Yes. So, why do you think T'Pol made a good first officer, or do you think she made a good first officer? I think she did, and I think it was because she was a highly capable officer, not just in science. Mm-hmm. While she was an excellent science officer, whenever Archer was incapacitated, she commanded that ship with authority. Right. And she, like you said, in all the above points of you know the duties of a first officer, she advised Archer quite a bit. Mm-hmm. on Enterprise, and she was an invaluable asset to the crew, um, right. not just because of her skills, but because she had experience that they didn't. Mm-hmm. And I think her being a Vulcan maybe helped matters. She was very opposite of Archer sometimes. Archer would be very hot-headed about some situations, and she would provide the more logical side to the arguments. So it was a good balance. Yes, it was a very good balance. And I think a good balance is what you need in a first officer. Mm -hmm. You need uh, someone that's going to complement the captain in a variety of ways. Mm -hmm. So I think think T'Pol was an excellent first officer. Uh, I agree. Do you have any favorite episodes where T'Pol, or examples of scenes where T'Pol maybe displayed that uh, being a great first officer? I remember it was during the Zindi missions. Yeah. Archer, I, I don't know the episode, but Archer was not on the Enterprise, and T'Pol you know, was sitting there in the command chair, 
you know, s- you know, straight backed, looking mm-hmm. over, and like I think Archer was probably like, "Leave me, get the ship out of here." Right. And then, you know, everyone else wanted to stay behind to s- try to save Archer, but she took the ship out. Right, and I think you know everyone was surprised at that reaction, but in the end, I think I I, I know the episode you're talking about, but in the end, it worked out, mm-hmm. and she had a plan that wasn't immediately recognizable to the rest of the crew. Right. And I think, you know, sometimes whether you're the captain or first officer, you have to make the difficult decision that no one else will, and it may go against popular opinion. Right. And it's it's the the good first officers and the good captains that will take that chance and they'll take that risk. Right. So yeah, I to Paul is two thumbs up. Uh, so I, I'll ask you the same thing. Do you have any examples of T'Pol being a good first officer? See, it's kind of hard because I haven't watched an episode of Enterprise in so long. Well, I liked, basically I liked T'Pol's story arc overall, mm-hmm. especially her struggles during the Zindi arc with the Trillium addiction. Right, right. And even though she had this addiction and she had this problem, she was still able to do her duty, and she became a better person because of it. I think to Paul in the fourth season is she's excellent. She's running on all cylinders. I think to Paul in the fourth season is one of my favorite characters, and I also liked her relationship with Trip. Okay, um, and I know you know in Starfleet at least. Maybe not in early Starfleet, but, you know, fraternization among the crew, whatever. Mm-hmm. But no matter what personal issue she had, she still got the job done. Right. And she was very effective at it. I agree. Yeah. Uh, moving on, the next first officer was number one from the Star Trek original series pilot. She was Captain Christopher Pike's first officer on board the Enterprise NCC-1701 during the pilot. While number one served in this role, she held the rank of lieutenant. She was noted for her exceptional intelligence and rationality, and Captain Pike regarded number one as the most experienced officer on the Enterprise. According to the Telogian magistrate, known as the Keeper, number one's seeming lack of emotion was largely a pretense, however, and she often had fantasies that involved Captain Pike. Hmm. Now, uh, going a bit into memory beta and some of the bigger fiction of Star Trek, because number one was only seen in the pilot. Right. Actually, I don't know if you've read any of the Peter David novels for Star Trek New Frontier. I haven't. It's, It's an excellent series if you ever get a chance to read it. But in that series... Uh, we learn that number one is actually an immortal being like Flint in the original series. She's one of those immortal immortals. Okay. And she's actually the mother of Robin Leffler from The Next Generation, who is played by Ashley Judd. Okay. So <laughs> so in in the bigger expanded Star Trek universe of fiction, Mm -hmm. she plays a much more significant role. 
And she's she also has a comic book series. She's been featured in the comic book series. Okay. Quite a few of them. So I think in uh, Star Trek New Voyages, which was a Marvel-produced line uh, that expanded on Christopher Pike's time. So yeah, she's she's been featured in a lot of the fiction, okay. but we only see her canonically in the pilot. Right. So what what did you think of number one from the pilot? I, I thought she was a good officer. I mean, you can't you can't really get too much from one episode. Right. But she seemed to have a lot of the qualities that Spock will have later mm-hmm. on in the series. Now, the reason why she didn't make it into the series I've read is because the producers thought that she was a little bit too cold. Mm-hmm. It wasn't because that she was a woman or anything like that. Is because they weren't too interested in her character because of her attitude that was written in the show. I see. So I I thought whether she's a human or whether if you take the fiction and she's one of these own mortals, I think she's very calculated, almost Vulcan-like right. with being a Vulcan. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you put ears on her, pointed ears, she would be a Vulcan. Yeah, at least in terms of attitude, she's very analytical. Right. Moving on, we have Spock. Hey! Who was the first officer aboard the Enterprise 1701 under the command of Captain Kirk, as well as the Enterprise A, when he wasn't commanding it. Right. (laughs) I find it interesting that the Vulcan first officers that we've had, T'Pol and Spock, Mm-hmm. They also serve double duty as the chief science officer. Right, yeah. be- because if we look at, like, say, the next gen, the first officer is just the first officer. Right. And I wonder if the first officer is just the first officer in the later series because there's so much more responsibility mm-hmm. as a first officer. Right. But... But I don't know. Like I don't know. It, it would seem like even back in Kirk's time or Archer's time that filling both roles would still be quite a challenge. And maybe they're the ones that can do it because they're Vulcan. I I don't know. But uh, the fact but the fact that we've never seen a first officer since to Paul or Spock have a double duty. Mm-hmm. I th- I think that's because they're Vulcan and they can handle. Both jobs. Right. And that's actually a very good point because that slipped my mind. I I didn't put those together. Uh, I guess Vulcans are just more scientific-y? I don't know. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're quite a scientific race, but the fact that they can also be leaders as well. That's true. Spock went on to become a captain himself. Mm -hmm. And if we take into consideration the events of the JJ universe where Spock was going to be become part of the uh, what was it science console the the like yeah the Vulcan uh, uh, science Academy? yeah something like that so I mean science was obviously a, a passion of his yeah something that he was going to do anyway and from everything that we saw in the original series he was almost like a computer. Uh, his scientific analysis helped the Enterprise in m- many times throughout right. the series. There's numerous examples of that. 
Right. And if we look at Star Trek IV, uh, The Voyage Home, where that scene where he's being questioned by the computer, and he, the computer's just throwing out all these things, he's Spock's almost like an android at right. the way he's able to calculate so fast, like you said, like a computer. Yeah, and... I don't know. I think it's an interesting quality that that he has. That he's so analytical, and that also kind of carries into how he commands in Kirk's absence. And I remember quite a few episodes in the original series when Kirk was either absent or kidnapped or whatever the situation was, where the crew butted heads with Spock and argued against him and some of his decisions, and they really confronted him about those. Mm -hmm. But he kept cool, and he knew that the decision he was making was the right one. Right, and that kind of echoes to Paul a little bit. Right, and it's kind of interesting whether it's... I'm not going to say prejudice towards Vulcans, um, Mm -hmm. because there's... Supposedly no prejudice in the future. but um, <laughs> Well, there was in the 22nd century. Right. But it seems like whenever you have a Vulcan first officer, you're going to be butting heads with them quite a bit. <laughs> and even in uh, the Balance of Terror episode that we saw, mm-hmm. there was a lot of prejudice thrown against him because of the Romulan connection from that one officer. And it kind of put this doubt among other members of the crew. Mm-hmm. So I, but as a first officer, he's he was able to rise above that, and that's another excellent quality of a first officer. Right, and if we kind of jump a little bit and look at yeah, uh, data mm-hmm. when he was put in command of a starship as the commanding officer, and how there was doubts around him uh, being in command, and yes. he was able to uh, squash those. I felt I feel like there's a lot of parallels between Data and Spock. Yeah, me too. It, they, I think they're both great characters that are trying to struggle with the prospects of humanity, but at the same time, they're being who they are, mm-hmm. and you know they're dealing and taking all the criticism in stride. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think Spock is an excellent first officer. I agree. I don't, I don't think we have a bad first officer in here. I, that's the thing. I don't think there's there's any way you can call any of these first officers bad or they never did their job. Right. Not in, I mean, not main series wise. I'm sure there are examples of. Oh, there's examples of bad commands. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Uh, so next, we have Decker. Kent or. Commander Decker. Commander, well, he was captain. And then, wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was captain of the refitted Enterprise 1701. Oh, and I know I've I've have talked about uh, this comic before that featured Carol Marcus and the Enterprise being retrofitted. I found okay. that comic. I think it's called Starcrossed. Uh, I think I've heard of that one. Yeah, it's 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 really cool. It, flipping through, you can see. You know, they're dismantling the frame of the Enterprise. It, it was it's cool. But I digress. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know why you brought it up. Well, because the Enterprise was the refitted Enterprise. Oh, okay. But he was... Uh, Decker was demoted during the V'ger mission. Yeah, yeah. because uh, Kirk came back, right? Uh, yep, Kirk came back and took command, and Decker was not very pleased at this decision. Mm. No, he was not. And the motion picture is one of my least favorite Star Trek movies. 
You know what? After watching the director's cut version mm -hmm. on DVD, it's actually a really good movie. I, I guess it's just the pace of the movie that bothers me. It can be a little slow at times, but I don't know. I, I think it's it's the kind of Star Trek movie I wish we got more of, and I know it's not going to happen because, mm -hmm. you know, it's all about action and, uh, and shoot em up and bang, right. bang, bang. Right. But I kind of like higher concept, higher intellectual, where there's more of a message behind the right. movie. Right. What did you think of Decker? Decker, I thought he was a capable officer. I, I think that he probably should have uh, maintained command of the Enterprise under the supervision of uh, Kirk. Yeah, and his, his father was the one in the uh, Planet Killer episode in the original series that right. sacrificed his life and his ship mm -hmm. to save the Enterprise. Yep, the Doomsday Machine. The Doomsday Machine, there you go. Yeah, a uh, good episode. And I like that there was that connection. Uh, I do too. And yeah. that's an interesting point that his father sacrificed mm. his ship to the Doomsday Machine to save the Enterprise that he was supposed to command, that his son was supposed to command in the future. Mm -hmm. So oh, Wow, yeah. So for Decker, there's no wonder that he's so mad when he gets demoted because that's like a slap in the face. Right. So I I totally understand why he's angry about being demoted. Right. Because it's almost like he probably as a kid was inspired as a kid or young adult was, you know, maybe fueled by his father's death mm -hmm. to become a great officer. Right. So to have that command taken away from him because of Kirk, I can see why he's he's mad. Right. And then Decker sacrifices himself. To save the Enterprise. To save the Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, it's it's his father's legacy. Yeah. So yeah, De Decker is pretty cool guy. Yeah, he's a, definitely a good officer, and I I wish we saw more of him. In the well, I wish I wish he didn't sacrifice himself. I, I would have liked to see him in more movies. Yeah, I I would have liked to see his his character continue, but. I think it left a powerful ending to the original movie. That, that's a good point as well. Next, we have Commander William T. Riker, Captain Picard's first officer on the Enterprise 1701-D, chosen because he did not just blindly follow orders. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing about Riker is during his time as first officer, he served with Captain Picard for many years mm -hmm. uh, across two ships. Right. And he actually turned down... Riker is famous for turning down promotions to be captain. Mm -hmm. He, I, I think... I don't know if it was in one of the episodes, but I think he's turned down more, you know, captain's offers than anyone else. And it, it became a, a talking point, you know, in a couple episodes and also one of the movies as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think what's interesting about Riker is, to me, is why did he stay a first officer for so long? Mm -hmm. And I think it's because he was learning so much from Captain Picard. Mm -hmm. Captain Picard, at his point in his career, was probably one of the most senior officers in Starfleet. Right. And I think Riker even said this himself, like, 
you know, why why we, why wouldn't you want to learn as much as you can from them? Right. And I liked personally I liked when Riker finally accepted moving on to become his own captain with the Titan mm -hmm. at the end of Nemesis. And I really liked that scene at the end when him and Captain Picard kind of part ways. Mm -hmm. And out of everyone in this list, I think Riker is my favorite first officer. I would agree with you. One of the reasons why I think he might have turned down the command so many times is because it's also the USS Enterprise. It's the flagship of the Federation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would rather serve as first officer of the flagship than... Captain of, like, this, the USS this vessel. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I, no, I want to serve as the commanding <laughs> officer of the USS Lollipop. <laughs> See, I get that line from a season one episode. Ah, uh, I don't remember that. It's the one where that hologram is trying to sell weapon systems, and one of the weapon systems uh, kind of scans your mind and displays another hologram of someone that you know. But but, needless to say, I have no idea what freaking episode you're talking about. Oh, but... <laughs> so, he's... Uh, the uh, hologram is talking to him. Riker, being as quick as he is, realizes this is not my friend as the hologram's trying to get basically tactical information from him. And he oh, goes, okay. And he goes, you're on board the Enterprise, right? And Riker goes, no, I'm aboard the USSS, USS Lollipop. And then the hologram goes, what's the armament of the USS Lollipop? And, and then he goes on and goes on. Uh, it's, an it's not the greatest episode. It has those, like, these floating things. Like, uh, it's hard to describe, but it has a circular portion with a phaser beam uh, and then it curves down, and they float around. This isn't... I, uh, let me look up the episode name really quick. I, have no, I do not remember this at all. Uh, the Arsenal of Freedom is the episode name. I still don't remember it. It's, I've barely watched the first... I think I've seen the first season when it originally aired, mm -hmm. and because it was so horrible, <laughs> I barely touched upon it, aside from a few episodes. Mm -hmm. Well... There you go. But that's uh, that's one of the uh, memories I have of Riker, I guess. Uh, do you have any uh, episodes that stand out for you? With Riker? Mm-hmm. Oh. There's so many. Another hmm. thing, actually, while you're while oh. you're thinking. Go, all right. What's that? When we were talking about how the first officer has to make a decision, even though the rest of the crew might not be might not like it. Yes. Uh, when he's technically, I believe, the captain of the Enterprise in Best of Both Worlds. Yes. Where he, uh, he tells Worf to fire at the Borg Cube, potentially destroying the Borg Cube and killing Captain Picard. I think one of my favorite Riker moments is when he has to deal and face the consequences of earlier in his career with the Pegasus. Oh, okay, yep. And as much as I dislike These Are the Voyages being the season fina or series finale of Enterprise, mm -hmm. that's neither here nor there. Um, right. I mean, it was good seeing him return, and it, but it was good that 
even though the time difference and all that stuff is it doesn't really match up. Right. But I like that they reference that episode and that the Enterprise episode takes place during the time frame of Pegasus right. episode. Mm-hmm. And it because it's one of the, I think, greatest obstacles and greatest challenges that Riker has had to face internally because mm-hmm. it, it was an internal personal decision right. that he had to make to tell Picard the truth mm-hmm. of what happened with the Pegasus. Right. So that I think that's one of my favorite moments. And it also shows his growth. Yes. From an officer that will just blindly follow orders to an officer that will question orders before carrying them out. Yeah, and I think that a first officer needs to question the captain. Mm -hmm. They need to challenge the captain. Otherwise, the captain will have free reign, and they might not be the best judge of character themselves. Mm -hmm. So I think first officers work best when they're either a foil to the captain or they're the ones that challenge the captain. Mm Mm-hmm. Because not every decision is going to be the correct one that the captain makes. And like we said at the start of this, uh, Picard chose him because he wasn't a yes man. Right. And I I think it was a good decision. Me too. Moving on to Deep Space Nine and Kira Nuris, Major Kira Nuris, which she does become Colonel later on in the series. Yes. She was uh, Commander slash Captain Sisko's first officer in Deep Space Nine, and we say that because Sisko gets a promotion right. from commander to captain. And she was resistant to Starfleet being in charge of the station, and I sort of see this as a good similarity and contrast to to Paul and her time on the Enterprise mm. and Kara's time on Deep Space Nine. How so? So Kara didn't want anything to do with Starfleet, didn't want them there on the station, and to Paul, didn't want at first didn't want to be on board the ship. Right. But grew and became part of the crew, just like Kira grew and became part of the crew, even though initially they uh, butted heads. Yeah. And what I like about Kira that none of these other first officers have is she was really stubborn. Mm-hmm. And she was not afraid to voice her opinion. And she had such a passion, I think, because she was, uh, before she was, uh, you know, first officer of Deep Space Nine, she was a freedom fighter. Mm-hmm. She resisted change, or she resisted, you know, radical changes. And in the beginning, it, it was almost like that she was using her time as, as a rebellion leader it's like she was still that rebellion leader even when Starfleet took over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and her and Cisco were an interesting dynamic. Right. Because she was so vocal and she was so... She pushed, you know, what, what she wanted and she pushed her opinion. And Cisco, you know, he, he was that cool but he still demanded a lot from his crew. Mm-hmm. He wasn't afraid to talk back, and he wasn't afraid to get into argument with Kira. Right. And I think that was a very interesting dynamic that the two of them had. I agree. 
I agree. Do you have any uh, favorite episodes or moments with Kira that you can recall? Off the top of my head, wasn't there one where she was injured? And um, probably. Ah, oh, God. I'm sure there was. Well, I remember on, she was on. also pregnant with Miles O'Brien's baby. <laughs> I think. Well, th- well, that was pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and that she. Um, she wasn't impregnated by Miles, but she had to carry. She was. She was the surrogate. Yeah. Right. Uh, hold on. Just put that out there. <laughs> I think I liked her more during the Dominion War mm-hmm. saga that she really came into her role, but she never lost her passion. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was always argumentative. But I really liked when she finally got a Starfleet uniform and she became a Starfleet commander. I, I was going to say that. That was going to be my my, uh, my moment. I'm sorry. Uh, I take that away from you. Well, what, uh, why, okay. is that su- why is that such a great moment for you? She realized that she needed to compromise for the greater good, and she worked with the Cardassians. Because mm-hmm. that's oh. the whole reason why she was wearing the Starfleet uniform was, be- was because the Cardassians wouldn't accept her as a Bajoran officer. Right, right. And that speaks volumes about her character and her growth over the series. Mm-hmm. Because she learned, like you said, she learned, she had to learn to work with the Cardassians. And I think towards the end of the Dominion War, she finally realized that the Cardassians were basically in the same positions that the Bajorans were with, but with the Dominion. Right. And it's like she took pity on them, and she finally understood. Mm-hmm. Right, because season one, Kara, no way she would work with the Cardassians. Oh, there'd be no way. She'd, she'd, she'd probably kill one before she worked with one. Right. And, like, the dynamics with Dukat, I thought that was always well played. And also with Tora Ziel. Mm. With Ducat's daughter, mm-hmm. even though you know Ducat was her worst enemy, she became friends, probably best friends, a deep friendship with Zeal, mm-hmm. and th- I think that was another point in the growth of her character in the middle of the series. Right, I agree. Kira's great. Uh, moving on, Chicote was the captain of a Maquis ship and became Janeway's first officer when the crews combined to make their way back to the Alpha Quadrant after being stranded in the Delta Quadrant. The reason I like Chakotay as a first officer Mm -hmm. is even though he was the leader of a resistance movement, much like Kira, Mm -hmm. he was different from Kira being a resistance fighter in the fact that his demeanor was was calmer. Much calmer. Much calmer than Kira Norris. But he had a wisdom there mm-hmm. and a respect for his religion. Right. I think Chicote was interesting in the fact that we got to see more of his religious side with um you know the spirit walkers and his heritage um and I like that aspect about Chicote. Mm-hmm. He was able to develop this relationship with Captain Janeway. And there was always romantic undertones there. Mm-hmm. But 
it became a really deep friendship. Right. And it was a different dynamic than what we've seen previously in all the other Star Trek series with a captain or a first officer. Because this was, you know, there was that romantic aspect to it, but they didn't let that get in the way or it didn't let them affect the job. Right. And I respect Chakotay because he was able to see immediately why that they the reason that they needed to combine crews. Mm-hmm. And he was able to work with his people to make that happen. Even though it was very rough for right. years in the show and not everyone agreed. But I, I like that he was able to command the respect of both crews mm-hmm. on Voyager. Right. And I think he was the one that most successfully bridged that gap between them. Right. Because he previously was a Starfleet officer. Mm-hmm. He previously wasn't Starfleet. So he had that experience. But he quit because of his disagreement with which started the whole Maquis movement. Mm-hmm. There was that tribe of Native Americans on a world that was in conflict with the Federation. Uh, they yes. Borders was, got redrawn, and it, the planet they were on became Cardassian. Yes, and we've talked about this before. The planet where Wesley says goodbye with the Traveler mm-hmm. on that Native American planet, Chakotay in the writer's Bible was originally supposed to be from that planet. That makes total sense. Yeah, but I don't know if it was like a writer's thing where they would have to pay the writer of that one episode if they referenced it kind of a thing, you no, know, like a royalty thing. Right. It's heavily implied that, that it was the same planet. Yeah, it, it makes total sense. Backstory. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, I know you don't like Voyager as much as the other series, mm-hmm. but... Is there anything that you like about Chakotay, or is there a standout moment in your mind about Chakotay? See, the thing is, like you said, Voyager is not my favorite series, so I didn't watch it as much. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's hard for me to come up with a moment uh, for Chakotay. For some reason, his authority didn't impress me, like, say, Riker. Mm-hmm. And I think the the issue I had I was I was comparing Chakotay to Riker, yeah. which you shouldn't you shouldn't do you shouldn't compare any of these officers together because they're all different because they're all different and they have different ways of being successful commanders. Right. I, I did like the way he handled Balana. Yes. Because he really kept her in line so that she could become the chief engineer. Yeah, and I'm glad that they kept that relationship throughout all seven years of Voyager. I'll say this about Voyager, and I know you don't like it as much, mm-hmm. but Voyager had such a great internal continuity, mm-hmm. especially with the relationships and the events that happened, that all of the relationships, and I know Janeway talks a lot about Voyager's crew being a family, Well, you really see that family grow throughout the whole series, and I think Chakotay was a huge part of that, especially with Mm Balana and some of the senior Maquis crew members. So, yeah, I I, I think Chakotay's a a great character, you know, for different reasons than than the other first officers. 
Uh, are there any standout episodes that you can you can share? The storyline that I liked the best was very early on in the series, mm-hmm. and it was the um, the conflict that resulted in his relationship with Seska. And then Seska was a Cardassian. She was a traitor. She betrayed Voyager to the Kazon. There were so many powerful stories that he, that she was like his nemesis. Like they worked together as a couple. But then it became this whole big issue that he had to deal with very early on in the show. We're talking first, second season. Mm-hmm. And even though Chakotay didn't get a lot of focus in maybe some of the middle seasons. I think Chakotay was best for me in those early seasons. There's some very great moments there. And I know Robert Beltran, the actor, he's very vocal that Chakotay didn't get a lot to do in the in the later seasons. Mm-hmm. And like I guess the writers maybe didn't know what to do with him. Right. So I think a lot of his best moments are within the first three or four seasons. Mm. Unfortunately, his character does take a backseat in the later seasons after Seven of Nine shows up. But there are a couple episodes here and there in the later seasons that are Chakotay-focused and I think are worth watching. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'll have to rewatch some of those earlier episodes. You know what? Just rewatch all of Voyager. Ah, uh, man, you're asking a lot. I know I am. <laughs> Give it a chance. Give it a chance. I don't know. Do whatever. <laughs> it, uh, whatever. Oh, um, one interesting thing though uh-huh. that that I kind of think that he shared with Spock. Uh huh. But just because all Vulcans are vegetarian, mm-hmm. but Chakotay was also vegetarian. Really? Yeah. Because of his culture and the Native American or whatever, uh, I forget what tribe he he was a part of, uh-huh. but they he was vegetarian. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Now was Seven a vegetarian as well? No. No. She was not. She just plugged in, and that was it. Well, no. I mean, in later <laughs> in later seasons, she did eat. Uh-huh. Um, but she wasn't a vegetarian. I see. I'm, Say I like Kess more than more than seven, but that's just a personal thing. All right, moving on. <laughs> moving on to the next section of the show, the subspace channels. Uh, so the question is: If you could pick anyone from Star Trek, who would be your first officer? Anyone from Star Trek. Anyone, anyone from Star Trek doesn't have to be a first officer. It could be Mr. Mott, the barber. No, I don't. I don't want him. <laughs> Morn from Deep Space Nine. You, you know who I who I want. <laughs> who? I want Garrick. Really, Garrick? Yeah, I think he is manipulating and calculating mm-hmm. since he was a member of the Obsidian Order. Mm-hmm. But even though he might not have all the qualities of a leader. Mm-hmm. I think he has skills that would come in handy in a pinch as first officer. But could you trust him? About as far as I could throw him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think it would be cool. It, yeah, it would be interesting to have him. What about you? Data. Boom. Boom. Data is my favorite Star Trek character of all time. So I would definitely want well, him by my side. Apparently your fiancé agrees with you. Oh, snap. Going on Twitter... 
Little Cute Girl 86 said, I would pick Data. He's an android, but I know he would have my back. And yeah, uh, Data would definitely have her back. He would have and, everyone's back. Yeah. Next, we have at Majin Fox. There you go. Who says Quark, and then the emoticon of uh, the tongue sticking out. Uh, rule of acquisition number 33, it never hurts to suck up to the boss. So does that mean that Quark is going to suck up to him? I, I guess so. Be the boss? I guess so. Interesting. Moving to Facebook, uh, our co-host Marty Hogan said seven of nine, and he didn't say anything else. No, uh, but seven of nine's an interesting choice. She's a good choice. choice. Yeah. She's very knowledgeable. She is, like other officers, uh, like Spock, who had that science role. Uh, seven of nine had that stellar cartography role, and I'm sure yeah. she could bring that to the table. Indeed. Uh, next, we have Robert M. Deem, who said, The first one to come to mind was Esri Dax. It may not be fair to her as an individual to say, but having the experience of the Dax symbiote is a major factor in my choice. Secondly, and why I chose her over Jadzia, is her background in counseling. I think that would be a great asset in dealing with the crew. And let me throw this in there. Oh, snap. Uh, I know we talk a lot sometimes about the more expanded universe, because I love the books. Right. I, I love that they continue the stories. But in the novels, in the Deep Space Nine continuation, Ezri Dax eventually becomes a captain of her own ship. Ah. So I kind of agree with Robert here that I think she would make an excellent first officer That's because of that experience. Would you say that Counselor Troy would make a good first officer or captain? Or is it comparing apples and oranges because Esri has all this past experience? I think it might be um, comparing apples to oranges, mm -hmm. uh, but even despite that, I don't think Counselor Troy would make a good captain, mm -hmm. per se, but I don't even know if she'd make a first officer. I know she had a hard time with when she was getting her promotion, mm -hmm. when she was testing to get her promotion to commander. Right. I know she was having a difficult time with that, mm -hmm. with being more of a leader. So no, I, I don't I don't think Counselor Troy would make a, a good leadership role. And that's nothing against her character. Mm -hmm. It's just I I think she has a different function. Right. No, I agree. So next, from Google+, Plus, we have Chris Clayton, who agrees with you, Eric, and he says, Garrick. All right. Yes. <laughs> um, with nothing else, Garrick. Uh, a lot of these will be one-word one answers, which is cool. As long as you contribute, we will read your gonna, answer. Yeah, we're going to do that. Next, we have Alex Schmidt, who says, Spock, of course. Of course. Next, Tom... Osborne, who says Spock is first choice with Q as a close runner-up. Whoa! <laughs> Which, uh, I don't know about that. Um, no. <laughs> Q, uh, Q offered his services to be part of the crew 
in a Star Trek The Next Generation episode. Right. And they said no, no way. Yeah, Q would just be too out there. Yeah. Just because he had the he would have the power to do literally anything. That'd right. be insane. True. And you wouldn't want to piss him off. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. It'll like snap his fingers and you'd be like a flea. <laughs> You you don't want that. I, I I don't want that at all. No. Next we have Martin McShane gives us three choices. He says Picard, Spock, and then Janeway. I don't think any of them would like being a first officer except Spock, maybe. <laughs> Spock, yeah. I don't um, know if Picard or Janeway would take a backseat to someone. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they would like the demotion. No. Not at all. <laughs> Next, we have an interesting response from Jake Ormy, who says, Q, Locutus, and then Data. What? <laughs> um, I think Locutus would assimilate you before <laughs> taking an order from someone. Right. Even the... Well, I mean, once Picard... Well, once Locutus was disconnected from the Borg Collective... He was useless. He was useless. He became Picard again. Yeah. Once it was uh, after the immediate destruction of the Borg cube, snap, well, Picard. Well, look, you're the one that said anyone from the Star Trek universe. No, that's true. <laughs> and that was like out of left field with Locutus. Uh, but, I mean, who would have thought? Thank you very much, Jake, for your answer. Uh, next, we have now. It's either Nail or Nolly. Nalai Avunduk, who said, I'm probably mispronouncing that, but they said uh, Chakotay or Data. Uh, Good choices. Yes. Next, Tyre Grimsley said Captain Kirk because he's hot. (laughs) Yeah, sure. (laughs) All right. Next, Andy (laughs) Yeah, these are tough names, guys. Andy Kravaljaka said data. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Excellent choice. Next we have Shane Dresser, who says Chakotay because he would not just blindly follow orders, but suggest other options, which is a good trait to have as a first officer, as we've talked about. Yes, and uh, him and Janeway got into many arguments over certain command decisions. Right. And next, uh, Ian Williams who says the O'Brien, which is an interesting choice that I didn't think about. I'm, I'm assuming he means Miles O'Brien. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is an interesting choice. Uh, even though he has an engineering background, he's had to step up quite a few times. Yeah, and he's seen it all. Yeah, he's a very experienced officer. I, I would like to have him on my side. Yeah. Next, we have Jonathan Abad, who said Sulu or Kim. So probably talking about Harry Kim. Right. Well, Sulu shows he has the stuff to be a captain. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. And, uh, and in the future, uh, Harry Kim becomes a captain. Uh, that's true. I'm sure it took him many, many years, but he finally became captain. Yeah, I'm sure they promoted him up a couple ranks once they got back to the <laughs> Alpha Quadrant. <laughs> Next, we have Jason Kirshner, who said, My first choice would be Data. Spock would be an obvious top choice as well, but I also like Belana Torres and Riker. All fine choices. 
Excellent choices. Next, Stephen Rompf said Spock, Data, or Riker in that order. Uh, again, good choices. I would like to have any of those as my first officer. We're going to be getting a lot of data because jo- Johan Deary also said data, as well as Malk Engelsey, who said data defoe. So yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know what that means, but go data. Go data. I'm surprised we haven't seen lore on here. No, Whoa, I'm, hey. not, I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> uh, next we have Sean Butler, who says to Paul, she had absolutely no problem calling Archer out when he was wrong. That's a very good point. Mm-hmm. Next, Daniel Price, who says Seven of Nine, the perfect combination of Vulcan-like logic and Borg intimidation. And the Seven could be kind of intimidating. Yeah, she could. She had that quality about her. Right. Uh, I, I like this, uh, maybe something that he would say if he were captain. He said, you mess with me and my crew and you'll be assimilated by my first officer. <laughs> uh, next, we have Tom Thumb Buckaroo, who said, Dax or Janeway, or maybe Paris. I think Paris Paris would be an interesting choice. It, yeah. Uh, I think his gun-ho kind of off-the-cuff ways probably diminished as he got o- older. Uh, so I think he would have grown up, so to speak, and be, been a good officer. Well, guess what? Because in the Voyager relaunch novels, he becomes Voyager's first officer. Oh, snap. Oh, snap. I think having the baby changed him. And, and it I, definitely I, matured him. Right. And uh, next, we have our good friend Clive Burrell, who says, Worf, all the way from me. Okay, so he's the most developed Star Trek character of all time, but he's also a great warrior and diplomat. Uh, I'm not quite sure about that, as we've seen numerous times. Also, his development in the expanded TNG novel universe has shown him to be a great number one on the Enterprise. That's true. He does become the first officer. Which I was not aware of. Uh, Under who? Under Data? Under Picard. Under Picard. Okay. Huh, interesting. And then finally, Aaron, what's putting your quantum state into flux this week? Okay, so this week, my quantum flux. So first officers have accompanied away teams since the onset of Starfleet. And that's probably the last part of this that's going to be related to the show topic. Okay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, In Enterprise... And in the pilot episode of the original series, the crew would wear a jacket uh, to the planet they were about to explore. In the run of TOS, these types of jackets disappeared to then reappear in the TOS movies. Again, they disappeared in The Next Generation. You could argue that the pre-First Contact and Voyager jumpsuit uniforms were made for utility purposes, which would have eliminated the need for a jacket in those series, DS9 and Voyager. So So what the hell is your gripe? (laughs) (laughs) So what is my gripe this week? Okay, for the majority of away missions to unknown plants that we have seen, the members of the away missions are not equipped for the unknown. Most of the time, they transport with only a phaser and a tricorder. Uh, sometimes, if it is deemed important, the doctor will transport down with a med kit. Every person 
of the away team uh, should have an emergency first aid kit and a small food supply ration in the event of attack or accident. What if their ship is suddenly disabled or needs to leave orbit? The way team would be at the mercy of the elements. Even with the transporter of shuttlecraft available, sometimes they fail. An example of this is the episode where Geordi and a Romulan are forced to collaborate together because of intense atmospheric conditions. Both injured, a medkit would have come in handy, and even a specialized away team uniform would have been beneficial. It's very interesting that we don't see them prepared a lot of times for these planets. Uh, mm-hmm. Deep Space Nine was a little different because I remember that they had those desert uniforms. Right, uh, where uh, Cisco and Esri walking in the desert with those uniforms. Yeah, right. so it's obvious even in Picard's time that they do have these specialized uniforms. We even saw that a little bit in Voyager where they had um, special jumpsuits when they had the Delta Flyer race. And Paris and them, they have specialized uniforms. But but beyond that, do, do you see any other specialized uniform in Voyager? I, I don't recall any. Um, I don't know, though. I, no, not like anything related to beaming down on the planet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe the argument could be said that, you know, it's in the future and whatever uniforms that they have are able to withstand some of those elements... Even that argument kind of falls apart if even in Deep Space Nine they have like a desert uniform. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure. I'm sure them beaming down with, you know, only what the bare essentials that they need, which is a phaser and a tricorder, you know, maybe that's to provide conflict in some of these episodes uh, where they have to have the chance of survival and they have to find a way on their own. But mm-hmm. sometimes, I, I have to agree with you, sometimes it makes them look incompetent. Like, right. why didn't you bring, like, a backpack or something that has <laughs> right. survival rations? Or, I Because mean, you never know. And we've seen countless times on Star Trek where they're abandoned or there's an emergency situation, and mm-hmm. they're, they're just not that well-equipped. And right. a phaser and a tricorder can only do you so much good. Right. And what if those break? Exactly. Then you're screwed. What if the planet, something with the planet's atmosphere or the makeup of the planet interferes with their function? And we've seen that before in Star Trek. So, uh, yeah, I have to agree with you. But, yeah, I mean, even in uh, Enterprise, they have a desert uniform. They had a desert uniform. they They had two different kinds of jackets. They had, like, a heavier quilted one and the uh, thinner jacket. They even had baseball caps. Right. They had everything. Mm-hmm. Come on, Next Gen. What happened? It was probably budget reasons or, yeah. like you said, to create some kind of conflict. But still. Or, or it's the future. Look at these shiny uniforms. I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree with you. They, they were not prepared in a lot of cases. Right, and they could have had, well, in the next gen, a, a yellow shirt uh, accompany them with a backpack with stuff in it. Yeah. I mean, in, in the original series, they could have had a red shirt with a backpack. Yeah, like a grunt or something. I don't know. Yeah, but just someone that had supplies. <laughs> you never know what's going to yeah. happen. It's not like they all need to carry supplies. Just one of them. That, okay, yeah. you're the supply guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in, case, in case crap hits the fan. <laughs> exactly. You know it's going to hit the fan. 
And the thing is, we've seen the future bat packs. Um, in Voyager, we've seen survival packs mm-hmm. and you know futuristic bat packs. It's we've seen this stuff. It's just why do they never use it when they beam down? Right. So yeah, I I totally agree. Right. Well, that is what put my quantum state into flux this week. I'm also very flux because of this. Yeah. See, you. you didn't think about it before, but now <laughs> I have you fluxing. I'm completely fluxed. <laughs> but yes, that is the first officers. Thank you for discussing this with me this week, Eric. As always, it's been a great time. And if we wanted to find you on the internet, how would we? Well, you can find me on all different social media accounts with TrekkieB47. I'm on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, YouTube... All that crazy, kooky stuff. Trekkie B47. Excellent. <laughs> it's almost like a name brand right now. Just Well, it's good. You, you have to you know go around and pluck them up before someone else does. And right. then you have to pay a premium just to get the name. Well, you don't want that to happen. F that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and where can they find you, Aaron? You can find me on Twitter, at NovaCharter. You can find me on my website, NovaCharter.com. And you can also find me on StarTrekRiza.com. My username is, guess what, Nova Charter. Charter. (laughs) So give them a a look out there. Uh, It's a pretty cool website, other like-minded people. Awesome. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks, guys. And we'll see you later. Keep on trekking. It's trekking time. By Riker's Beard. You have been listening to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where you can catch a new episode every other Monday. You can find us on the web at sfescapepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at sfescapepod. Like us on facebook.com slash sfescapepod. And add us to your circle on Google+. Plus by going to google.sfxkpod.com. This has been another proud production of the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You want to see more shows, go check out www.fouredradio.com, you winkers.